Ultra 64. Banjo Kazooie. Alright, welcome to Ultra 64, the comprehensive Nintendo 64 podcast. My name is Steve Gunting. He's going to do this the whole episode. <laughs> oh, uh, that was Woody Siskowski, if you couldn't tell. And it's me, Rosie Crow. They, they, could, they could tell. Oh, <laughs> alright. Yes, we are joined once again by special guest Rosie Crow. Thank you so much for uh, being here for... One of the best games on the system, I wager to say. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think Woody's in that uh, demographic just yet, but I think we can convince him by the end oh, of Oh, it's episode. one of the best. This uh, is an intervention. This is an intervention. <laughs> oh, no. A bando bando intervention. A bando? A bando Bandovention. I couldn't, I couldn't portmanteau that one. Yep. <laughs> um. uh, so, uh, if you cannot tell from all the festive grunts and kazoos, we are talking about... Banjo-Kazooie, one of the all-time great platformer games. Uh, before we get into it, I'm going to give a little bit of uh, background on the game itself. So, Banjo-Kazooie, released June 29th, 1998, published by Nintendo and developed by Rareware. Now, uh, i got to stop a little bit and talk about Rareware, but this is the first Rare game that we're getting to, mm. and they are a pretty big deal for the N64. So... Tell us uh, those hits. Let's let's hear about it. So Rare is a British company. They're sometimes called Rareware. In this game, they're called Rareware. Rareware. Oh my <laughs> That's God. why they usually don't <laughs> call themselves Man, that. Banjo Wareware. This is like this a, is a Banjo Wareware cast. This is like a, a rural juror situation. <laughs> it is. So it was uh, the company was started in England in 1985 by uh, brothers Chris and Tim Stamper, and uh, their very first game was Slalom for the NES. If anybody remembers that, it's a very simplistic arcade skiing game. I only remember the one on that came on PC where the big Yeti would come ski and free. eat you. Ski free. Um, and I think Slalom was kind of like that, but it didn't have this character. Without yet. the Yeti, and it was just pretty much primarily about slaloming between that flags. That game sound awful. I hope that Banjo-Kazooie is better than that game. It was basic. It was pretty basic, but... It kind of kicked off a very long and fruitful partnership with Nintendo. So they, they produced dozens and dozens of games for the NES. Uh, most notably would be games like Battletoads and RC Pro-Am, uh, which is a little sub-favorite of mine. What's um, a sub-favorite? It's, like, it's a secret favorite. It's like an under-favorite. Like, got it. Like you you do wouldn't know put it on your dating profile. This is profile. a podcast, but, right? <laughs> no, it's, it's like a, there's a Dom favorite, and then there's a sub-favorite. So oh. the Dom favorite oh. is going to be like an act like a Super Metroid or something, an actual favorite game. And then the sub-favorite just kind of does what the Dom favorite tells it to. Mm. <laughs> okay. All right. Carry are on. You, are, you, are you happy you asked? <laughs> Glad I brought it up. Are yeah. you happy you asked? Um, <laughs> uh, so... Rare's career with Nintendo really, really kicked off in 1994 uh, when they produced a little-known underground hit for the system called Donkey Kong Country, mm, mm. which, uh, despite having no name recognition, and most people are scratching their heads and going, huh? It's actually the second-highest-selling game on that system, uh, which is pretty impressive. Behind something Super like, Mario World, right? Behind Super Mario World. Yeah. Something like 8 million units on Donkey Kong Country. Major, major, major hit. So that gave them pretty much carte blanche to do whatever they wanted. They followed that up with Killer Instinct, which was a big hit fighting game. Um, 
in the arcades and on the Super NES, and that made it to N64 as well. So they kind of had a blank check, and uh, around this time, Nintendo bought a stake in uh, Rare. They It was a 25% stake, and then they opted to about 49%. So by the time they came to Nintendo 64, they were already superstars. And uh, I think, I believe... The first, I, I'm going to have to double check this, but I believe the first game they released for the N64 was GoldenEye, which obviously is a massive, massive Dang. hit, third best-selling game on that system, and uh, just kind of a perennial classic and really reinvented the shooter genre. And so that was a pretty big deal. So this game was their first stab at kind of a narrative-based, like, platformer. It's called Psycho the Game. It's called You, you Psycho go around the game. and you stab people in showers. Mm. <laughs> is that out of your system now? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I knew this because it was throwing me off. It's, it's, it's doing something to you. No, so um, this was, Banjo-Kazooie came out, was a big, 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 big hit. This is the 10th highest grossing Nintendo 64 game. Sold 3 million units. Uh, the sequel sold another um, 1.5 million units, but actually reports vary on this, and if somebody could correct me on this, because I have some websites that have those flipped they say the sequel is actually the three million and the original is 1.5 million i can't believe that i don't true. believe no. that's true either just because the sequel came fairly late in the life cycle but i see some conflicting reports on that but i'm just gonna i'm just gonna i'm just gonna say those reports are all lies I'm based gonna, on nothing I'm, I'm gonna agree they're lies too but they uh rare had a pretty unprecedented string of hits for the N64. I Not mean, since have... the days of Squaresoft for Super Nintendo. Oh, man. As a company released so many great games for one system. It's true. It's really true. And, uh, I mean, you have titles like GoldenEye that we mentioned already. Mm -hmm, you have mm -hmm. Diddy Kong Racing. You oh. have uh, uh, Perfect Dark. You have... We're what nodding, as you can else? see on the podcast. Donkey Kong 64. Donkey Kong 64. Oh, my had, uh, actual favorite game. Mario's... Or Mickey Speedway. That was a that was a fun one. Uh, a little fun little kart racer. So where are they now, Steve? They're making lots of hits now, Man, right? Man, I wish that was the case. So after... Oh. Around 2000, uh, Rare produced a game called Conker's Bad Fur Day, mm -hmm. which was a pretty major departure for them. It was kind of them poking fun at all the games that they'd popularized. So it was a foul-mouthed, R-rated... Uh, yeah. My Nintendo brother, my brother game. got that game, and it was quite saucy and exciting it's that he had that. It was cri critically loved. Fans love it, but it was a big financial loss for Nintendo, and it kind of made them reevaluate their future with uh, the company. Uh, Rare produced only one game for the GameCube, which was Star Fox Adventures, which was also a bit of a disappointment. And after that, uh, their option came up, and Nintendo didn't buy them, but Microsoft did. So the system went over to Microsoft. They produced such classics as Grabbed by the Ghoulies. And the Perfect Dark sequel that everyone loves. And uh, their one big IP after that was Viva Pinata, which actually people do like that one. I've never played it, but yeah. that one had a small fan base for a little while. They did a sequel to Banjo-Kazooie called uh, Banjo Nuts and Bolts, which was pretty much all about vehicle customization, which was kind of a weird we direction to take it in. in Banjo-Kazooie. <laughs> yeah, I played that game uh, briefly. I was pretty yeah. excited about it, and then about 15 minutes in, Figured it was. It wasn't going to get there for me. It yeah, has it its defenders, uh, but it yeah, it, it, it just really was not what people wanted out of this company and out of this series. So as of right now, they're not really doing much. They've got a big uh, pirate-based property in the works. It's supposed to come out first quarter of next year. They say it's going to be another reinvention of the platformer slash first-person genre. It's going to be a first-person platformer. So mm -hmm. work for Metroid Prime. Why not? 
So that's rare. They're a, they're a very, very important developer for the N64, so I thought I'd better get a little bit of groundwork about them. So, uh, as I said, yeah, Banjo is the 10th highest grossing game in the series. During its development period, it was originally called Dream, Land of Giants, and it was going to star a young boy named Edison who helped fight pirates. Boo. It was more of an action RPG kind of thing. I don't know what exactly made it turn into anthropomorphic bear and bird bopping on <laughs> anthropomorphic everything. Yeah, a lot of googly eyes. Are <clears throat> Lots in this game, of googly guys. eyes. But um, yeah, that's the direction they took it in. They they were heavily inspired by uh, Disney. They wanted to have kind of some Disney esque characters that they could attach their name to. Sure, I can see that. Uh, Banjo as a character was first rolled out in Diddy Kong Racing. He was a playable game character. Wait, in Diddy that. Kong Racing came out before Banjo Kazooie? It did. Uh, yeah, about a full year. Uh, is that the first Cranker? Is that Conker? Conker. Yeah. yeah, that's the first <laughs> Conker as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then a so whole they were bunch laying the forgotten. seeds there for yeah, many yeah. hits to come. Those two spun off, and one spun out yeah. to drugs and booze and. <laughs> Weirdness. It's I. I can't wait to talk about that game. It's so weird. Um, so they reconfigured it into this action platformer uh, in the vein of Super Mario sixty four. Definitely, definitely owes a lot to Super Mario, and I think all three D platformers of this era do. You kind of have the hub world, mm-hmm. and then you have like the, the you have to collect a certain number of doodads to get through the door and everything. The like more that. doodads, the better. There's real escalation in doodads. Once there's, you get to like Donkey Kong, there's like a crazy amount of doodads. That's where Rare really jumped a shark, and they kind of became associated with collectathons like this. Um, let's see, what else can we talk about it before we actually talk about it? The game has nine levels overall and two hub worlds. There's like the outside spiral world, which yeah. counts, and then the inside castle, which is huge and expansive. And confusing. And confusing. Uh and uh, then, well, well, let's get into the general, like, actual story of this. Who wants to summarize the, the magnum opus that is Banjo-Kazooie? I'll summarize Banjo-Kazooie's story. So, you play as Banjo, a fun-loving bear who, with the, within the title screen, plays the banjo. Mm-hmm. And Kazooie, his smart-alecky female bird friend, mm-hmm. who lives in his backpack. I don't believe that there's any romantic relationship between the two. They're just, but, best I, they're just best buds who one I, happens to live looked, in the other's backpack. I looked for some deviant art to back this up, <laughs> and weirdly clean. Okay. For whatever reason, the internet has That's not gotten system. their filthy claws into this so, particular like, IP. So, if you're curious if there's like any shipping going on with the characters, like you can just check deviant art, and I'll let you know. Yeah, this is one that did nothing for no one. Okay, so. good to know. Maybe I haven't dug well, deep enough, but I well, dug as deep as I want to. Let me let me continue in the story, <laughs> please. So, Banjo and Kazooie they live at the foot of Spiral Mountain. They're apparently the only people who live in this. Or quote unquote people mm. who live in this whole area. Wait, Mr. Moles. I mean, bottles, bottles. Bottles the mole. Excuse me. Wow. Um, who lives right outside of their house in a molehill and apparently just meets them for the first time when you walk out of the house. That's true. Okay, yeah. That, in the beginning of the game, uh, Banjo's little sister Tootie is running down the hill and she meets the mole and they know each other. Yeah. But uh, Banjo has to come out and he, he introduces him to him. So either ba- Banjo has like short-term amnesia, like a memento situation. <laughs> or has never left the house. Or has never left Very the house. Very antisocial. He could be like agoraphobic or he could just be hibernating. Well, if he is agoraphobic, he has really accomplished a lot with the amount of adventures he goes on this he game. He overcomes a lot of adversity. Inspiration to us all. So anyway, so at the top of Spiral Mountain, overlooking Banjo-Kazooie's house, is uh, Gruntilda the Witch's Lair. 
Um, she is an ugly witch. They reinforce her ugliness constantly. That seems to be more important than the fact that she is evil and or a witch. <laughs> yeah. The fact that she is <laughs> yeah. ugly. Um, yeah. I mean, that's the worst thing you, things. you can be as a lady. Yeah. This is, this is really this the game. takeaway theme. And <laughs> she's upset because Banjo's sister, Tootie, um, is a cute little girl. And so to get her revenge for not being the cutest out of the five people <laughs> who live in these area, she Stiff is, competition. kidnaps Tootie. Um, and is going to essentially steal her cuteness and transfer ugliness into Tootie. And can we discuss how, like, Tootie is a cute little girl bear, but Maybe somehow... Maybe, like, eight years old? Yeah, Maybe. but when she her powers are transferred to Gruntilda, she becomes, like, super sexy witch. So, like, what's this, like, mm. it's cute alarming. eight-year-old girl turns into mm. sexy, so, sexy witch? Yeah. It's very confusing. It's very, yeah. So, to give some context for what we're talking about, if you... Uh, lose the game, or if you just save and quit, you get treated to the cutscene where you actually see the transformation process take place. Uh, Gruntilda comes out of it like as a lightly green-skinned, like hot woman with like flat-ironed hair, who is grunting in this very sexy, the, disconcerting uh, way. Just oh, ee, oh, oh, ah, ooh, ah, ooh, ah, ooh, ah. Okay, that's enough. Okay, yeah, 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 no, 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 no. Just one more point. No. No. Okay. Um, every every character in this game ta- has a, their own unique voice, but they don't actually talk in words. Mm. They just talk in various squeaks. And Why don't more games do this, you guys? It, actually, everything that you pick up in this game, the first time you pick it up, uh, be it eggs that you use in ammo or feathers that you use to fly, mm. will talk to you and tell you what it does. Um, so the, you know, the flying feathers, Why talk like this and Fly in the air. And yeah. Then, um, it's disconcerting, really, because you are using these things as disposable objects. Yeah. The eggs are either going to come out of your mouth or your anus. <laughs> the feathers are going to be sho- shoved away yeah. as you fly up That's into the so sky. So much trash. So much trash. Yeah. Uh, but these are real things with like googly yes. eyes and personalities. <laughs> yeah. So it's a little uh, disconcerting how they're just kind of using and abusing everything in this world. And it's probably why they live alone. The voice, <laughs> the I don't know. I I think the sounds are really annoying, right? Like I mean, like they definitely get annoying. I think yes, but I mean, also I don't have a good argument for this. I know. That Other than that, I like them. Yeah, they kind of fit this, the game. The but nostalgia when talking. a character talks for a while, especially mm-hmm. Grunty's voice as you're walking around her lair, yeah, it, it gets pretty irritating. Yeah, and I mean, there, there is the reason to keep the sound on at all is because there's some actually really excellent music in this yeah. game. It's all done by I looked it up, uh, Grant Kirkhope. Uh, who he considers he's worked on a lot of video games, but uh, he considers this his best achievement, uh, and rightfully so. I think the the music is really dynamic and really fun and really cool. Like, and it it, it changes on the fly. Yeah. Within the level, like if if you dip underwater, then it suddenly turns to like this melodic kind of muffled harp music, but it's still playing the same melody. It's really clever the way it's all implemented, yeah. and it, it, it helps give like this buoyant sense of fun to the game. I think. No, I agree. This I, I think when I renewed my Nintendo Power subscription, I was able to get either a player's guide or a soundtrack CD. Yeah, and I got the soundtrack CD, and I still actually I still listen to it. It's That's really great. good. Yeah. Um, it's kind of I would describe it as maybe kind of symphonic in the sense that there's a lot of musical themes and motifs that get played back. Mm, yeah. So the levels sound different, but they it's really the still same clearly sound like music the whole time, but you don't mm. get annoyed at it, which is really yeah. an achievement. It's impressive, but 
my for me personally, when I was playing this when I was younger, uh, after a while I would have to mute the sound, and I would just listen to music. And so I forever associate this game series with Green Day's album Warning, which is what I was listening to on a loop at that time. So I yep. just listened to that album over and over and over while I played this game. So As I Green Day forever, intended. They, this, these two are kind of inexorably like entwined in my mind. Like uh, I can't separate one from the other. Probably the reason for that is at one point you get a power, uh, pretty early in the game, you get the power to actually have Kazooie walk and carry Banjo around, which is a much faster way to move. But every time you do it, Kazooie makes a constant... It's really annoying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so Kazoo, I, I have some questions about Banjo and Kazooie's relationship. I'm just didn't cons- that already get brought up? Well, but I'm still concerned about what's actually happening. Is she like an indentured servant? Mm. Like she lives in his backpack, but she's not. She's not like infirm. He's not carrying her uh, around. She seems to have an awful lot of lip for being a servant. Yeah, she she's definitely very, seems very to sassy. Be more, if anything, he seems indebted to her. Like he would be the servant. Like he's and has kind to carry of the dumb loaf character right like she's the one with all whenever there's a power that is gained it's her thing it's like flying shooting eggs walking around on the feet like does he do all banjo really does is jump and And he's got this awkward little yeah Yeah. it's not even really a punch it's kind of like a like a like a drunken fallen like falling forward (laughs) drunkenly he stumbles at you like jackie chan he doesn't get any power-ups i don't think not really um he does get to transform into things and that's one of the games hooks that we'll talk about uh in certain levels you can go in and you can see a problematic mystical shaman named mumbo jumbo problematic uh you collect some mumbo tokens and then if you collect a certain amount then you give them to him and he will transform you into a level specific creature that you can uh use to find usually just one uh jigsaw puzzle piece you're collecting jigsaw puzzle pieces by the way they are the the stars of the game they're the stars they're the big things uh we'll get into the collectibles in a second but uh so in this game you get to turn into five different transformations you get to be either a termite a crocodile a walrus a pumpkin or a bee uh most of which don't really do anything but walk around, except the crocodile can bite. The bee can fly. The bee can fly, and I think the bee can shoot stingers, if I'm not mistaken. That's I might be right. confusing that with Buck Bumble, though. But it's, oh, it's... man, so many games they get confused with Buck Bumble. Man. One time I went to buy Uncharted 4, and they sold me Buck Bumble. And I'm like, what, what the, the fuck, man? You're and like, they're like, oh, we got him confused. Sorry. I'm, I'm not even <laughs> mad. <laughs> Don't worry about it. I would have made the same mistake. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, that, that's it's kind of a cool hook. Uh, they don't really explored for much uh the pumpkin's super cute yeah. uh, all it does is it makes you just bounce around that's in the haunted house level all the jack Lantern. all the animals still have banjo's backpack on they still have the backpack and people the shorts. comment on how cool you look sometimes yeah. they're like whoa cool shorts this- termite. Yeah. yeah exactly yeah it's clever like if you turn into a termite then you can start talking to the termites which are enemies otherwise mm-hmm. like they'll they'll comment on your cool shorts and backpack and uh yeah it's a cute little touch it's definitely cute uh, it's it's a pretty fast-paced game. We were playing through, and uh, we got through the first level in, like, next to no time. Mm-hmm. Just kind of blazed right through it. 100, 100 uh, notes, five Jinjos, all the jigsaw puzzle pieces. But stuff starts to get a lot more complicated as you proceed. Um, the, you know, the jiggies get farther apart. You need to use more variety of powers to get them. You have and, to spend hours in the overworld castle yeah, getting lost. Yeah, can we talk about the overworld now? So yeah, please. More questions? No, please okay. go for it. One thing I think that this game differentiates 
itself from Mario 64 is there's a lot more of an overworld to this game. Mario 64 has, you know, a castle you run around in to get into the different worlds. Um, but you're not going to get confused or lost or anything like that. Um, this game requires you to find a specific picture of the next world you want to do, find, insert the jigsaw pieces into that picture, and then it will open up the entrance to that world in some other area. Yeah. And that's something I don't like, is it will sort of pan, you know, show you a compute, show you a cutscene of that world opening, but it gives you no indication of where that is. Yeah, you still you have are, to go there's, find no, it. there's no map. And it's not very logically laid out. No. Like, it's not... You would expect, like, all right, the snow level should be at the highest point because it's on a mountain, you know, but that's not where it no, is. No, it's not to Egypt world, obviously. The, the, beach, <laughs> the beach level's, like, down in the sub-basement. It's just... It, it doesn't necessarily make sense. I kind of like the exploration element of it, but I do agree with you. It's kind of a hassle to maneuver around this I world. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a major part of the game. We, um... Yeah, if you stop playing for a little bit like um or you know you resume someone else's save game as we did on your used copy here mm -hmm. um you have no idea where to go um i think it's one of those games that once you sort of get into the swing of it and have been playing it for a mm -hmm. while um it's all all fun and intuitive yep. but if you're out of that mojo it's a big hassle um for that overworld there's cauldrons that teleport you to other cauldrons but they all <laughs> What? Well, it's just if you can't. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah sorry, that's but what also, cauldrons do. Yeah, sorry. Uh, that's why I was laughing at why yeah. you would explain oh, to yeah, our intelligent point. listeners that's what true. cauldrons do. You're, Woody. you're right. You're right. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't mean to talk down to everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so like in everyday life, you jump in a cauldron, you teleport out of another yep. cauldron, but they all kind of come out in these vague uh, grayish areas. So it's really hard to know where you are. It is hard to tell you where, and so that that kind of brings up the point that there's a lot going on in this game. Like, with the cauldrons and with the navigation and everything. So I do have to give this game props for how good it really, truly looks. Like, this game looks great. I've been playing through a lot of these old games, and anything that tries to do, like, any modicum of an open world kind of thing is covered in what is best described as the Nintendo 64 fog. You know, the, if you think of uh, the worst offender would be Super Mo Superman 64 with uh, its <laughs> we all know that green fog over every surface. But it's something that they it's had just to do. people. Banjo-Kazooie better than Superman 64. <laughs> You're lucky. You're lucky. But so this, uh, yeah, it, it's basically something the developers would do if they were lazy and couldn't handle the rendering distance and everything like that. This game looks great. You can yeah. see, like, all the way across the worlds. You can see very clearly. It's nice, bright colors. There's good shadowing. There's good animations on everything. It's really a very impressive achievement. And it holds up uh, even, what is it now, almost 20 years later? Yeah. yeah. And can there's... we talk about the whimsy levels that are in this game? Uh, yeah. There's, overwhelming. There's, overwhelming I think we levels, all folks. can agree that the snow level is one of the best snow... Snow levels usually suck in games because you're it's sliding true. around. It's a big... I don't know. None of the tasks are very fun. You're falling off edges. This game has a great snow yeah. level. There's a giant Christmas tree mm -hmm. with lights and all oh, the music. It's so good. It's so festive. And then this is where you get the power to fly around and dive bomb into stuff. Yeah. So really, in terms of this is probably the best the best Christmas game. Yeah. That there is. Yeah. And just just from that one level. And it's actually kind of perfect. We're weirdly going into a uh, a run of like winter based games. <laughs> Like for the next you guys couple weeks. Plan that? No, just kind of coincidentally, it just happened that this month of December is going to be a lot of winter-based games. So 
I don't know. That that kind of fits into the theme, I think. Yeah. I think part of the winter le- level being good, too, besides being magical as all get out, is that you do have that run that lets you walk over ice mm-hmm. without slipping and sliding. There's really little slipping or sliding on yeah. a, for an ice level. It's so true. just don't worry, folks. Give it a go. There is still the frozen water problem, but uh, uh, that's I always mean, a pain I mean, just take ass. some damage, whatever. Yeah. But that's still something that's happening today. Mario Odyssey, you could still get damaged from being in the ice water and like, yeah, it's still it's still happening. Why right aren't now. characters just getting more insulated? You would think so, yeah. Which you do eventually. You turn into a walrus and then you can splash around that water oh. all you want. So but, I can get my walrus transformation fix in a yes. new game, Steve? Exactly. <laughs> this wow. game has a couple of uh, dated mechanics, which I think is interesting in these type of games. Is there got to be a point where... There was no point in having lives anymore in games. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But games would still have it. Um, I, at this point, Super Mario Odyssey, since you were just talking about yeah. it, has just done away with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's you, you. When you die, you just sort of go back to and you lose some coins. You lose yeah. like ten coins, which yeah. is nothing. Um, and in this, yeah, if you die and lose a life, it's just kind of a waste of your time. Um, so there's there, still there's still extra yeah. life collections and things like that, but. It was sort of a dated mechanic that even then, no, but no purpose in the game. It's something that took a long time for games to kind of... Well, I mean, I don't think we're totally away from it yet, but it took a long time for people to just move past that. Like, even Mario Galaxy yeah. 1 and 2 both had, like, the 1-up system and everything yeah. like that. Yeah. So it still has something you hold on to. And most of the new modern Mario games, you would accumulate so many extra lives that it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, you would have, like, 900 lives or something. And even if you die, it's like you just have to watch that Gruntilda sexy confusion scene. Which, yes. I mean, is somewhat of a punishment. But <laughs> it's not the end of the world. You could restart. So, can, can I backtrack a little bit? Because yeah. you guys brought up a, a good question while we were playing earlier. And I would like to explore it a little bit and maybe pose something to the listeners. Uh, what the fuck is mumbo-jumbo? <laughs> So we were talking oh, no. about, so he's, he's, he's a, a shaman and he's got like a skull for a head, but then his arms are like these scaly pink something. And so or his legs. You could, you could make an argument that he's a turtle. Uh, I, I feel like I, he's like a inside out man or yeah. something like his muscles are I like that, like showing like his skin has been removed. Like slim good body. Yeah. <laughs> reference that no one gets. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to say that he is like coach Z. Oh, okay. um, and has a pink jumpsuit, and the skull is a hat. Okay, all right. So all good, good answers. I mean, so you know, write in, visit yeah. the website, uh, send is, us an email. What the hell do you think Mumbo Jumbo is? Is he a an inside out man? Who uh-huh. did you say he was? Slim good body. Slim good body. Or look B, it up, kids. Coach Z in a pink jumpsuit with a skull head, or some other horrifying <laughs> uh, stuff of nightmares. Yes. All right. So let's talk about. Uh, my two biggest complaints with this game. Um, firstly, I don't think this game did anything to help Nintendo's reputation as the kiddie console. It's a very, very childish game. I mean, the villain in it talks in these really terrible, annoying rhymes, and then there's all the grunting and all the googly and eyes. And the game I, show I like part the at the end. Oh, yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> okay, we'll sorry. That. Uh, so, I mean, I, and I think Nintendo, to a degree knew this so i i looked up some of the commercials today which i'll i'll post a link to this on uh, ultra64podcast.com but there's a commercial from around this era where they're talking about it and it, they're trying real hard to be edgy with it <laughs> and there's only so much edge you can add to this game but it's three like grizzled explorers or something it looks like a, a treasure from the sierra madre or something they're all wearing fedoras and they're all out in the woods at night and they're terrified 
one of them's afraid of this big creature stalking him, and he's he's making up legends about how it's this flying bear, and they're like, oh no, no one ever believed that. And then this big, a couple of bear claws swoop out of the sky and grab, very like mean looking bear claws swoop out of the sky and grab this guy and take him off. <laughs> and you see him flying off into the moon while we get the amazing slogan that I totally forgot about, get in or get out. Get in or get out. <laughs> get in or get out. That was, their, that was their edgy slogan. And then they had like tough, cool guy, disaffected Generation X announcers like Banjo-Kazooie. It's super tough. <laughs> whatever he says. Oh, but no. he's super rad to the extreme, bro. I guess feel Surge. like Surge. His Nintendo, like, I feel like they've just ex- embraced what they are. By now they have. Yeah, Which by now is, totally I think, have. smart. Like, don't, don't try and, like, add cool bear claws to yeah. things because that's what teens like. I don't know. But it was something we talked about. They had a bit of an identity crisis mm-hmm. around this time, which is kind of why they were losing handily to PlayStation, which was, like... Boobs. If they had some cutesy <laughs> stuff, it was kind of shoved to the side. It was more about the gore or the RPGs with the mature storylines. Like so cool. Super dreaming dudes with big swords. Uh, so that was kind of one of my problems with it. Uh, the other problem is, and this is going to be very common with Rare platformers, and all platformers of this era in particular, but Rare is a really bad offender, the collectibles. There's a ridiculous amount of things you have to collect in this game, and it only gets worse. So here's what you have to collect. You have to collect music notes, red feathers, Gold feathers, eggs, honeycombs, empty honeycombs, gingos, mumbo tokens, jigsaw puzzle pieces, storybook pages, giant eggs, one-up trophies, and the ice key. These are all things you can collect in this game. That's not to mention the two different types of shoe power-ups you get in this, the uh, speedy shoe and then the waders. That's a lot. It is a lot. I think the things I have the real issue with are... um... The music, the music notes, mm-hmm. um, because you're already hindered by your progress is hindered by having to fill up the jigsaw pieces for later levels. Yeah. Um, so they also have these doors where you have to have a certain amount of music notes from the levels, and it sort of ends up with you. There's a hundred music notes per level, so it ends up with you trying to get to this far corner to collect these three music notes, which just isn't all that much fun. Or getting to the point of having yeah. to replay levels to beat your high. Did that score ever really happen? It happened to me because I got really sick of running back and picking them mm, up. Well, they see. didn't really weight these properly. Like, they, they don't emphasize that the music notes are as important as the jigsaw puzzle pieces, so you don't really know. So, yeah, it does lead to a lot of backtracking. And this, in all, as is the case with a lot of these N64 platformers, the camera is occasionally really bad. Yep. Um, it doesn't follow you right, and the control stick is a little awkward. You're not moving quite the direction you want to go, so... You end up sort of running around music notes a lot. It's it's um, a consistent problem just with that control. The controller is innovative in a lot of ways, but it also feels very mushy, which is why when we talked about Fighter's Destiny, I think it, they were smart to like kind of just leave the analog stick out of it mm-hmm. completely because it's so not responsive for fighting games. Uh, but in this one, it's it's a necessary evil, and so yeah, it does get a little sticky and does feel a little soft. But uh, that's just so many things to collect, and I think uh, Banjo-Tooie would double this, and Donkey Kong 64 would triple this. I feel like Donkey Kong 64 is the place where it gets truly insane. Nothing that yeah. you nothing that you name there, aside from the music notes, I have a huge problem with it, because most of it is just items or power-ups yeah. that you usually just naturally collect as you run around. But, yeah, like... Especially with Donkey Kong 64, where there were different characters that had different power-ups that they could collect. Yeah. I'm just shaking my head, because I 
love Donkey Kong 64. I, and I will I, I collect it. the shit out of anything. Yeah. If a game shows me something, I should something shiny. I will walk towards it. Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, for me, that's just about. I can't find games like this anymore, which is something we were talking about. The weird overworld, too many collectibles, 3D platformers, just. Yeah. Not really a market anymore. No, then. And true. 64 is really the place to be if that's your favorite kind of game. It's true. And I think platformers have kind of evolved in the direction of upgradable abilities. I think Ratchet and Clank is really the only consistently popular non Mario platformer series, really. And uh, that's and they just have like upgradable weapons and things like that. Uh, so one of the items I mentioned in there is I guess I should add an asterisk because really you can only grab that by using a game genie. Oh, yes. We're so talking about the. the- the, the infamous key? ice key. The ice key. Okay, so let's describe what the ice key was for. The ice key was part of a uh, program that Rare was trying out called Stop and Swap. So then uh, they spelled it Swap, S-W-O-P. So Stop and Swap. It's it's weird and it drives so me nuts, cool. but that's how they spell it. Um, so basically what was supposed to happen, if you... Beat the game with all 100 jigsaw puzzle pieces. You get a cutscene at the end with Mumbo showing you where to get these two big uh, eggs with question marks on them and the ice key. So if you go and you're, in theory, you're supposed to be able to go and find those. And what it was going to do is unlock features in Banjo-Tooie, which you access by, you open it, you start up your Banjo-Tooie game, you get to the proper place. I think it's like a, a hen house or something where you can access cheats. And then you quickly remove the cartridge and swap out the original Banjo-Kazooie. And that's going to unlock a whole bunch of new special features. Like you can start using uh, Kazooie as a club, like you don't take advantage of her enough. Or you get other different like exclusive power-ups. The only problem is they never got this to work. Uh, Allegedly, one of the problems they were running into was that they were trying to build it in where... You had 10 seconds to swap your games over. Yeah. But for whatever reason, they couldn't get the programming right, and you had one second. And if you didn't get that swap oh, over God. in one second, you lost your game. So that was maddening, and they, they never oh, actually no. were able to implement it properly, so they just kind of left that abandoned. It finally did come back when they re-released uh, both of these games for the Xbox Live Arcade. They did HB, uh, HD upgrades of them. And now you can do it. You can access those areas. You can use the stop and swap. It'll open up different features in both games, and it'll also unlock some unique Ooh. features in Nuts and Bolts. That's fun. So they, they got around to it eventually. I mean, that's really... A lot of games later did that. I mean, it's just the cartridge seems like it's poorly set up for this kind of situation. Yeah, it was... Um, the I think my first knowledge of this, there was a Sonic and Knuckles for mm. the uh, oh. Sega Genesis had... Yeah. It, the so cartridge had a back. slot on the top where you could put another cartridge on top Whoa! of it. And so if cartridges you put, like, cartridges. Sonic 2 on there, you would unlock Tails in Sonic and... No, I, no, that's wrong. You could you put would, Knuckles you in. You would put yeah. Knuckles in those older games. Mm. Um, Sonic and 3 cool. plus Knuckles is still the best Sonic game, I think. If you give... You, <laughs> honestly, best, best, sincerely, I think it's the, the best, best Sonic game. title, too. It Sonic is. 3 plus Knuckles. Yes, it's a terrible title, <laughs> but there was no good way to work. I just think that's interesting because this is kind of like... This is kind of how you would do DLC before yeah. the internet. Yeah. And a more extreme example of that that we'll get to eventually is Pokemon Stadium, but that's kind of the similar thing. It's just like basically this whole new game and this whole new technology just so you can add on to your currently existing game. It's, it's a weird concept, but it's kind of a cool workaround for how they did that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Did you guys have anything else to add? About uh, we, should talk, we should talk about the quiz show. Yes. So through, yes. through this game, you meet, uh, as you're running through the main mansion, you meet uh, 
Gruntilda's good sister, Brentilda. Yes. Um, who tells you disgusting facts about Gruntilda. And then at the end of the game, um, once you've traversed, traversed all these music doors and like, these different worlds, you go to this thrilling quiz show, which has really fun music and a great presentation. But then she asks you a bunch of facts throughout the game that you are probably not going to remember. Unless you were Little Kid Rosie and you mm. wrote them all down on a yellow tablet because you knew what was up. But non-weird non kids <laughs> had a different problem. <laughs> yeah, so this is the kind non -weird of Non-weird kids should not be playing this game. <laughs> you would play through for a long time, get to the end... And then kind of hit a wall of either not being able to pass well, the quiz show or the yeah. final bots. Because backtracking is a big hassle. Well, Rare kind of did that with Donkey Kong 64, too. The infamous... Uh, I know this isn't DK64 slash Rarecast. But there was a part in that game where you had to like do a terrible minigame to get the Rare coin. Oh, yeah. Before, I believe all. you had to play Jetpack. Yes. You did. Which, you had to play Jetpack. So Rare just has a thing for forcing you into terrible situations. Don't you also have to beat the original Donkey Kong? I think Kong? you do, which yeah. is surprisingly hard. It is, I got tricky. I got stuck on that for a long time, and I think I went back and beat Donkey Kong 64 maybe 12 years later. <laughs> yeah. Um, people definitely remember that first iconic level of Donkey Kong. There's a reason not many people remember the next two. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah, so this game, I don't know. That's, that's another... I think we can all... I mean, let's let's talk about the quality of the game. Yeah. I think we can all agree that this is a great game. It is. Um, it's probably, I don't know, one of the ten games. If you're going to only own ten games for Nintendo 64, this, this is probably one. one of them. Yeah. Um, it, ha it has some problems, as a lot of these 3D platformers do. Camera, controls, yeah. um, too Even the camera this isn't as much of a problem as it has been in other games. Well, and that's because there's not... I don't think the, the platforming itself isn't very difficult. There's no. no levels where you're... If you fall, you die, or no, things like no, that, no, like no, there is no. in Mario. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a great game. Um, it has, it has a, some issues, but it's definitely... I would say it's probably still worth going and playing if you hadn't if you haven't played it yet because even though with those issues once you get into it and start running around and collecting stuff and learning these new abilities it's a lot of fun and like you said the the levels are all bright and colorful and um they're varied there's a you know an egypt world a halloween world the snow level um i like i like the pirate cove a lot so there's a lot of cool levels um the Steamship yep. is, is cool and lots of great music, um, and it's not it's not a super expensive game. It's maybe like fifteen bucks, something like that. Yeah, fifteen twenty depends on. I mean, this is one of those games that is its price point is being driven by how much people like it and yeah. remember it. Uh, so it's not a it's ironically not a rare game, <laughs> but uh, it can it can run a little more than. Well, how much is how much is the uh, one on Xbox Live Arcade like? I don't know. It's probably probably less than that. Xbox, so yeah, I know, oh, it's, yeah, I'm sure it's less than that. Um, you could probably pick up nuts and bolts for next to nothing these yeah, days. Yeah. So yeah, I, I agree with everything. I think that's a hearty recommend from all three Absolutely. of us. Yeah, it's it's definitely a game worthy of naming your cat after. Did the you name character? Your cat? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, my cat's name I is Banjo. Should we post? Should we post a oh, yeah. of Banjo the cat? On yeah. The, on if the, anyone, if any of our many listeners <laughs> want to make Banjo a little bit, you don't have to say it's a derisive. Uh, I We're assume also, they're not your yeah. listeners. Okay, I've been on the episode twice now. That's true, I'm that sure is 50% of the episodes. That there's a skyrocketing... I mean, I know that cis white men 
and love to hear women with vocal fry on their podcast. So oh I'm God. sure. Uh, what is vocal fry? It's it's when your voice cracks like a little bit, but it's something that both men and women do. But for some reason, people only like target women for that, and they say oh. it sounds super unprofessional. Like if you listen to This American Life, oh yeah, a lot everybody is super with... vocal fry. Actually, yeah, everyone on that show has vocal fry. But it's become this. It, it doesn't bother me, but it's become this stupid sexist thing that irritates me. Yeah. So, so yeah. just here, just here to bring that and. Uh, uh, I know that that's going to really make a lot of listeners. So all the listeners now are listening because of me. Please make my cat a little backpack and a little shorts. And a little dead bird. bird. And a little yeah. dead bird in the back. Actually, no, please have put a, a live bird. Live bird, please. Only. It will soon be dead. Yeah. 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 So shout out to my cat. All right. Well, that is the Banjo-Kazooie episode. <laughs> I, I don't think I need to update the rankings, but I will anyway. Because I, like we're we're I feel like we're in oh, yeah, accordance I mean, on this. But just a refresher. Based on, based on the games we've played so far, <laughs> yes. this game is clearly eons ahead. We are uh, we are mostly in accordance on this with a couple of very slight differentiations. So, but, so far, my list, Mario, best game to worst game, Mario Party, Fighters De- Fighter Destiny 2, Fighter's Destiny, Space Invaders. Woody goes Fighter Destiny 2, Mario Party, Fighter's Destiny, Space Invaders. I feel like we're both putting Banjo oh, yeah. at the top of this. I mean, those games yeah. are oh, just yeah. giant stacks of crap. They are. Compared, They're all crap. compared to this game. I've been feeling guilty putting Mario Party at the top. I know. You should I feel bad. It's I, been a whole I, week of I feeling I got, really gross. I got swayed. I was having fun, and you guys were having fun, and now I'm thinking about it. I'm like, man, I regret that. Fighter, <laughs> Fighter Destiny 2 is better. But the rankings are uh, permanent. Now that we actually have a good game that we can put on the list. Now we actually have a good game. I think it's going to be a little while until this gets unseated for me anyway. Yeah, if we didn't have that mysterious lost episode yes i guess i should give a little bit of background on that for people who were tuned in expecting to hear the nba hang time episode we had some unfortunate technical difficulties we lost the episode there's nothing we can do so rather than re-record it and try and force the same jokes and force the same info we're going to hold off until our NBA Showtime episode, which mm-hmm. is the sequel. We'll bundle them both together. We'll have much more to talk about. And we'll force the same jokes there. We'll force the same jokes there, but they'll feel fresher to us. <laughs> so, uh, But that's not going to be next week. What is coming up next week is a double dose of Olympic glory. So we are playing two Ooh. Winter Olympics games. We are playing Olympic Hockey Nagano 98 and Nagano Winter Olympics 98. <laughs> <laughs> Play us out. Thank you for joining us. Good night to all the ships at sea. <laughs> Keep going. Okay. <laughs> I don't remember how to say the fire. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>